Hello and welcome to episode 247 of AvTalk. I am Ian Pechnik here as always with Jason Urbanowitz. Hello, Ian. How's it going? Hello, Jason. It's going well. It's not been long since we last chatted. Yes, it has only been five days instead of the usual seven. So even fewer things have happened than usual. But we've got we've got some things, including one we've been waiting for a long time to confirm. Yeah. You sound unsure. Did it not happen? I don't know what we're talking about. Okay. You'll, you'll remember when we get to there. It's the, the third bullet point. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. That Yes, confirm. Okay, fine. I'm totally off my game because it's, it's only Monday. Had this been Wednesday, you would have picked up on I that would have known. I, this would have been a much better thing. So we're recording on Monday, the 18th of December, not our usual day to record. Normally we record on Wednesdays, but Wednesday would be after the cutoff day for our editors because they are going on Christmas break. So we are recording today so that we can get the podcast off to them so that we can have it out for you this week. So this week, we've got a bunch of very interesting stories. One, I think- more bizarre than interesting, but certainly one we're going to follow for as long as we can. And then next week, we will do our standard end of the year clip show. So that'll be fun. And thank you to everyone who has written in over the week with their favorite episode from throughout the year and suggestions and requests for the new year. The favorite episodes, there's a very clear top three. So so you'll have to stick around for next week to see which episodes you, dear listeners, have voted into the top three. I will say that voting is still open. Email us at podcast at fr24.com. Let us know what your favorite episode was throughout this year and anything you want to see in the podcast moving into next year. Jason, my friend, I don't even know where to begin with this particular story. You should begin at Page one of the wow, how many pages is this? Is this twenty-four plus oh twenty-four pages. Yeah, well, half of it is just addendums and stuff. But begin yes. at the top because it's the only way we can go through this one. So the United States of America has charged Sergei Vladimirovich Ochigava with being a stowaway. That's the top line, which is Stowaways have happened before. It happens. It happens. This isn't the super unusual part. No, that certainly happens. Here's the fun part. He was a stowaway on SAS flight 931 from Copenhagen to Los Angeles. But he wasn't hiding. He was just on the plane. Well, he that's a twist. He is memorable to the flight crew. He wasn't in the cargo hold. He wasn't hiding in the wheel well like we've seen in the past. He wasn't locked in the bathroom the whole time and, and trying to hide. No, he was hanging out on the plane, moved about the economy cabin, requested two meals during each meal service. That's suspicious. That's the most suspicious thing on SAS. Nobody exactly. gets two meals on SAS. Come on. <laughs> I wonder if he ordered all of his beverages at the same time. Well, if you, if you order a, a Coke later, I mean, they're, they're going to know something suspicious they're and they're going to detain you on arrival. Come on. He also, and I'm quoting the, the charging document here, he also tried to eat the chocolate that belonged to the cabin crew members. Man, that's a no-no. Chocolate for the flight crew, that's sacred. You don't touch that. You bring them chocolate. You do not eat exactly. their chocolate. So he was on the flight from Copenhagen. Gets off the plane in Los Angeles after it parks at the gate and goes to customs. And 
when he gets there, he doesn't have any documents that he can give to the customs officer to be screened into the country. He initially says that he has left his passport on the plane. So they shuttled him over to a customer service agents basically to help coordinate getting him his passport off the aircraft so that he can come into the country. And he says he came in off the SAS flight from Copenhagen, and then they asked what documents he leaves on the plane. He, he said he left his, his passport on the plane. So they're trying to track it down and trying to track it down, and they can't. So the while they're waiting, the a Customs and Border Protection officer offered to like begin the screening process, ba- basically get, you know, get them pulled up in the system. Then when the passport is brought forward, they can just stamp it and he can be on his way. They don't have to, don't have to, you know, look at the passport and all that kind of fun stuff anymore. When they tried to do that, they could not find him in any of their systems. A ghost. He was not listed as the passenger, as a passenger on SK931 or any other flight arriving or departing the United States. They asked him for his name, his birthday, the flight information, still couldn't find anything. So they call up the supervisor and the supervisor says, okay, let's take a look at what we got going on here. And inside of his bags, after they start searching his bags, they find a a Russian and Israeli identification card, not passports, but identification cards used for domestic travel. And they kind of go through this and use that information, still can't find anything. He's got a partial photo of a passport that has the name on it and the information on it, like the passport number and things like that, but does not have the picture. So it's like cut off. So it's got all the information except the picture. Suspicious, but okay. So this is kind of getting stranger and stranger and stranger. So they're trying to figure out, did he ever apply for a visa? Because if, if he's a Russian citizen, he needs to have a visa. If he's Israeli, he needs to have an ESTA, the what is it, electronic system for travel authorization. But basically, you, you fill out a form that says, I'm coming to the country. Uh, and if you're from a, a country where that's okay, they say, okay, we'll, we'll see you in a little bit. And he's never applied for or received a visa. They checked in and with the the CBP central office, and they have no idea who he is, where he is, or why he's here. And he certainly wasn't supposed to be on SK nine three one. So now they're saying, "Hey, we, we looks like we've got a stowaway." So the SAS station manager gets involved. They confirm that everyone was accounted for, and when they look at the load sheet for the aircraft, it turns out they had an extra person on board. Hmm. And they did do a count, apparently, according to the criminal complaint. They did tally up, or they did count the passengers on board, but they didn't aggregate their counts as it. They only did it for weight and balance. So had they yeah. potentially added up the numbers before taking off, they they possibly would have found this issue in, in Copenhagen before departing to the US. And I've actually been on a flight where this very thing happens. It was a Lufthansa flight at a JFK and there was it was an odd situation where there were two passengers by the same name, both on our flight to Munich, but one of them was supposed to be on the flight to Frankfurt. Uh, so there yeah. are times where, yeah, there was a real weird three hours on board that plane before we were able to get out of there and figure it out. 
But yeah, this stuff happens. So maybe this is some procedure at SAS that needs to get tightened up. But I, I don't know if that's a common thing at, at airlines that they actually tally up the number of total number of passengers on board and, and then run it against the, the manifest. That's a, a question I don't have the answer to. I guess the biggest question right now is, is how did he get on the plane in Copenhagen? Yeah, not a huge mystery. There have been stowaways before and there have been serial stowaways before that make almost a, a game out of getting on board the air. My good friend in Chicago. Why can't I remember her name? I'll, I'll, the name will come to me. But having just Marilyn Hartman is her name. She's for 20 years has been able to just kind of wander into airplanes based out of Chicago. So in this particular you know system, I having recently flown through through Copenhagen out of the gates that the US flights leave from possible sure but you would you would have to be this gentleman said that he hadn't slept for 3 days and he had no idea how he ended up here i'm not sure i believe that because you would have to be of pretty sound mind to work your way around the automated gates yeah and there's also some information in the criminal complaint that he actually gave uh, permission to, I guess this was CBP, to go through his phone and, and look at what's in the camera roll recent. What have you been taking pictures of recently? And the most recent picture was a quote, a photo of television screens displaying flight information for flights flying all over the world, including to Amsterdam, Munich, Lisbon, London, etc. So, and it was in Danish. So he was taking pictures of the departure board. Maybe yeah. he just wanted to pick the right one. If you're you're totally out of it and don't really know what you're doing, you're probably not taking pictures of the departure board. I, I don't know. Yeah, that was weird. Although the criminal complaint does, I mean, this is all part of basically a form that agents have to to kind of work their way through. Everything has to be logical and, and, and airtight. So I appreciate this. But I would just like to inform our listeners who may not know this, that open source research revealed that CPH is the biggest airport in Denmark and that Danish is the official language of Denmark. Oh, that's nice. Who Good knew? stuff. And it's even as detailed as telling us uh, the phone was a black iPhone SE with a silver back. And they even give us the IMEI number. So that's a lot of detail. Dude's going to need a new phone after this. <laughs> I think he's going to need a lot of stuff. So this happened on the 4th of November, but we're, we're just finding out about it now as reporting on the, the court documents kind of came out earlier this week. But certainly a case to follow because I want to see what happens to the guy. Do they, where do they send him back to? Because they kind of have to figure out who he is, right? To be able to figure out where does I mean, do you just send him back? I don't know. To Can Denmark? you just send him back to Denmark? Does it become like a the terminal He's situation where, now. where he just lives in LAX for forever? I don't know. I, I mean, mean, there are worse yeah, terminals I, I to live in. The, yeah, I mean, T, yeah, Tom Bradley's not not yeah, a bad T, place. Not to, too bad. Better than Newark. Ooh, ouch! Can you imagine living out the rest of your life in Newark Terminal B? Oh. It would change that Tom Hanks movie from a somewhat of a comedy to a, a very, very dark tragedy. Yeah, so something to follow and, and we'll figure out how this happened, hopefully. Yeah, without speculating any further, we'll just leave it there and say, hey, something to follow up on when this works its way through the courts. Hopefully, we'll find out more. Jason, if you're Southwest, your planes are heavier and your pockets are lighter today. To the tune yes. of, well, to the made-up number of $140 million. 
that's the headline figure. The the, the one headline that the, the DOT wants everyone to see. But let's let's dive into it a little deeper. Tell me more. Well, so the headline number, 140 million, is 30 times higher than the previous largest fine. But none of that means anything because of how the fine actually breaks down. So the fine oh, is let's for a bit. What happened? What is this yeah. fine for? So the fine is for the meltdown that Southwest experienced over the Christmas holiday period last year. So over a multi-day period in December of last year, Southwest canceled almost 17,000 flights and left 2 million passengers without a way to get to their destination. And it was terrible PR. Congress yelled and screamed. CEO Bob Jordan said, well, didn't say much of anything. Then he came out and said something and then he went went away again and then finally said, you know, okay, we need to do better. So it seems like they've done better this year, but it's taken the DOT a year to kind of figure out how much it was going to cost Southwest. And while the top line figure is $140 million, that's not quite how this all breaks out because Southwest is getting a $33 million credit from the DOT against the $140 million for offering air miles to passengers that were affected by the meltdown. Then Southwest will pay $35 million in cash to the Department of Transportation over three years. And then, and this is the one that is just silly to me, Southwest must set aside $72 million for future passenger disruptions. Hmm. Which will be paid out how, Jason? The deal with this is Southwest is now committed, they, they, I guess they've probably been forced to commit, to offering delayed passengers, I believe of three hours or more, a $75 Southwest fund bucks credit applicable to future Southwest flights. That is my take on it. We'll have to double check, but I believe it is just a $75 credit for future flights. It doesn't really make sense that it's $72 million set aside for, for future disruption. If it's a credit, I guess it must be in the form of a refund. Don't really know. We'll figure that out. All of this is just coming out today. But yeah, that sounds like a lot of money. But right here in the US, another airline a long time ago suffered a very similar catastrophe over a holiday weekend. And that would be JetBlue way back in 2007 with the Valentine's Day massacre that actually resulted in the ousting of the founder and CEO of JetBlue at the time because things went so wrong. And at the time, the DOT didn't force them to, but JetBlue enacted its own what they called Customer Bill of Rights that is like almost two decades old at this point, but is way more generous than the $75 Southwest is offering here. It goes up to hundreds of dollars if your flight is delayed six hours or more, but it, it's uh, increasing. It ratchets up in cost as the delays or the cancellations stagger. So this $75 blanket, oh, if you're delayed three hours or more, you'll get $75. It's pretty weak, but it's something in a country that typically offers no consumer protections whatsoever for the most part. For its part, Southwest called their new policy a new industry-leading policy. So I mean, apparently they think it's 
better? I don't know. The <laughs> DOT thingy here says that Southwest Note starting April 30th, 2024, so don't get delayed before that. For at least a three-year period, so this may just be three years, Southwest will provide vouchers of at least $75 upon request when controllable cancellations or significant delays cost customers to reach their destinations three hours or more after scheduled arrival times. So, there's so a lot it's of, even worse. It's even a lot worse of washy statements here. It, it's upon request. Upon request, which means they're probably not going to be proactive about it. While JetBlue is, I have gotten vouchers from JetBlue while still sitting on the aircraft. At least seventy-five dollars means it's going to be seventy-five dollars and not a penny more. And it is a voucher. It is not a refund. It is a voucher that you can only use if you want to put yourself back on another Southwest flight at a later date. So this is really better than nothing, but compared to EU 261, it is practically nothing. But it's somehow more than Delta, American, United, Air Canada, Aeromexico, that any of these airlines really offer because they, they don't have any proactive hard and fast rules of you will get compensation due to x so I, I don't know it's it's better than nothing but they're not doing it because they feel like doing it this is definitely uh, part of the negotiations with dot resulted in this outcome i get it everybody wants to claim the win dot says it's the largest fine ever we're putting the screws to the airline if they they mess your schedule up this could have been avoided when southwest is trying to spin oh it's customer friendly i just there is one thing here that this, in total, that the headlining number is an astronomically high fine compared to anything else the DOT has issued in the past. So it does send a message to airlines in the US saying, shape up or, or we're going to hit you with a large, very large fine. And I, I hope we don't see any operational collapse quite as dramatic as Southwest last year, that that really shouldn't ever happen. But it does put the other airlines on notice saying, hey, if you do this, if this happens to you, here are the numbers you're probably going to be looking at. And, and it is not pretty, though most of them could easily afford it. It's not as pretty as previous fines, as far as the airlines are concerned, but there's no real penalty here. No, what they needed to do to get out of this and make everyone look good, that, that's the outcome. It, it's better than nothing. Hey, that's our motto here. It's better than nothing. It does also say that Southwest Airlines will issue a minimum of $30 million in vouchers from April 30th, 2024 to April 29th, 2025, and each year thereafter. Of the $30 million in vouchers spent each year, Southwest will receive an offset of $24 million from the assessed civil penalty. So what happens if Southwest just runs a phenomenal operation? through 2025 and just doesn't cancel any flights and doesn't have any delays, they still have to issue $30 million in vouchers? That's, do they just pick passengers out of a hat and say, hey, you blocked in 34 seconds late. Here's 75 bucks. There you go. Done. Right. Right. Sold. Why not? Oh, it's all fun and games here as we close out the year. And we finally get to close out the year by saying Turkish Airlines has ordered some planes. Ugh. All right. Finally. Finally. For real. This one has been kicking around for months and months and months and months. Everyone was right. They, they were just dotting their I's, crossing their T's, yeah. doing whatever they needed. I don't know, doing some currency conversion, playing on financing. But Turkish has ordered 220 firm orders 
plus another 100 options for 50 A350 900s and 15 A350 1000s, as well as five A350 freighters, which is nice, plus yeah. 150 plus 100 options for the A321 Neo. So Turkish went shopping. They certainly did. And this is on top of the other smaller wide body orders that they've placed earlier this year. So we'd been expecting, I think we started talking about this in May ahead of the Paris Air Show in June, that Turkish was about to close a hundreds of airplanes deal. And Paris Air Show came and went and no large order. I think they ordered a dozen or so aircraft at that point. And then we said, okay, well, we'll just you know see what we can see for the Dubai Air Show in November. And that came and went and nothing happened there. And then mid-December comes around and Turkish says, yes, 220 very large aircraft, please. Okay. Firm orders. So, so it'll, it'll be done. Take what we can get. So this bulks out Turkish Airlines Airbus order book. They now have 504 Airbus aircraft on order and puts them well into the next decade. So a big growth for the Turkish Airlines fleet. Wow, as, 500 as said, and something. That's a lot. They want to double their fleet. I mean, and then go from there. So it's Turkish Airlines has big ambitions and yeah. ordering 50 A330s, that's a good way to show it. Yeah, well, 500 plus aircraft from Airbus, that's almost a year's worth of absolute production from Airbus. I mean, they delivered a little over 600 so far through November. So yeah, that's the better part of a year of production time just solely devoted to Turkish. I think we've seen things like this in the past from other very large airlines, but it's just crazy to quantify it like that. Just a year of Airbus doing nothing but building planes for one customer. Yeah. And then on top of the massive order book that Turkish is building, they're also going a bit further afield. Jason, where is Turkish Airlines about to fly next? I believe they already fly to, but the deal here is that increasing? international airlines flying to Australia face, I think you could classify it as onerous restrictions on where and when and how frequently they can fly. But a new deal announced just a couple of days ago by Australia basically gives Turkish Airlines the keys to the kingdom, and they will be really increasing the number of Fifth Freedom flights. That's basically they have to add a stop along the way. They can't just operate Istanbul to Sydney or Melbourne. They have to add on an additional stop. But it'll increase from 221 flights immediately with immediate effect, and then it will increase to 28 flights next year and 35 by 2025. And this report from the Financial Review, which I guess is from Australia, says that they will overtake Qatar as the most frequently visiting international airline, which currently has 28 flights. So this is a big deal. Australia is very protectionary when it comes to its homegrown Qantas, which I know people in Australia don't really love Qantas right now. So it is a pretty big deal to open the doors so widely for an international airline in Australia. Yeah. I mean, the interesting thing is that this kind of open embrace of Turkish stands at odds with the treatment of Qatar Airways that recently transpired, where they said, no, sorry, Qatar, you cannot expand beyond the current allotment. And they said, well, it's we're doing it for a number of reasons. But also, 
Qantas was against it. And the minister said, oh, it's against our national interests. So this is Ooh. interesting to me that so quickly they would turn around and say, okay, Turkish, no problem. Okay. Some deal had been made. Good for Turkish. And honestly, good for really anyone looking to get a, a decent fare in and out of Australia. It's seemingly out of nowhere. Yeah. I mean, this really opens up or will open up once Turkish starts flying, travel to Europe because eventually you'll have a nonstop to Istanbul. But from the beginning, it looks like they're going to go through Singapore. And the other option right now is Qantas. I mean, you've got two flights into Europe, I think only two, Rome and London at this point. But I mean, that Istanbul opens up an incredible number of connections to, I mean, it's what, 300 or some odd airports connected to Istanbul. So I mean, it's not bad if you can swing it. Yeah, good for them. And not a bad product. Speaking of Australia, Qantas's first A220 is currently on its way home. It's somewhere in between Honolulu and Fiji at the moment. Hmm, that's nice. This is the one with the stunning special livery. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, yes. I, I don't recall the name of it, but it is pretty stunning. And yeah, Qantas is going to need a few extra planes to compete with Turkish now, I guess. <laughs> well, this one won't be competing with Turkish. So this is the first A220-300 for Qantas Link. The aircraft large, the A220, is slated to replace the 717s for Qantas. So basically doubling the range, you can fly transcontinental in Australia and 25% less fuel burn, not a bad deal. Plus the A220 is just a wonderful plane to fly on. So I'm sure that Current 717 passengers are looking forward to switching over to the A220. But VHX4A is just reaching cruising altitude after departing Honolulu about 45 minutes ago. So it's flying Honolulu, then to Nadi and Fiji, and then from Fiji onward to Sydney, arriving, I guess, Wednesday? Crossing the international date line still doesn't make any sense to me, but I believe it will arrive in Sydney on Wednesday. So a good start to Qantas's A220 aspirations. Jason, let's go about as far as we can from Australia and head back to the Mediterranean and talk about Lufthansa Group, which is set to resume flights to Tel Aviv coming up soon. All right. Well, this came out of nowhere, I think, but it seems very calculated by the Lufthansa Group. They will be resuming service to Tel Aviv starting January 8th, 2024, available starting to book today, actually, which would be December 18th. They're going to start off modestly only with Airbus A320 family aircraft, so no more A330s or any wide bodies at all heading over to Tel Aviv, but they will start off with 4X weekly Lufthansa flights from Frankfurt, 3X weekly Lufthansa flights from Munich, 8X weekly Austrian flights from Vienna, and 5X weekly Swiss flights from Zurich. So a gradual ramp up that only represents a 30% capacity compared to, I guess you could say this time last year. So that's not a lot of capacity, but better than nothing, which is what most airlines are operating there right now. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting that they're ramping back up, leading the way. I, I assume once Lufthansa Group has kind of restarted, we're going to see other airlines come back in, maybe other airlines waiting to see how things go for Lufthansa, how that service looks 
before they re-enter Tel Aviv. So it's something to keep an eye on for sure and to see if, if Lufthansa makes any changes after the 8th. The US IRS clarified what counts towards the sustainable aviation fuel credit that was part of the 2022 Inflation Reduction Act. The credit is $1.25 for each gallon of sustainable aviation fuel, and that goes up to $1.75 depending on how much of a life cycle reduction in greenhouse gas emissions that fuel provides. And so the deal here is that the law said the ICAO's Corsia standard was how the ICAO's carbon offsetting and reduction scheme for international aviation. It's aviation, we have to have a complicated acronym. But the law also allows fuels meeting other, quote, similar ways of reducing emissions Uh as qualifying. Uh oh. So this is where things get fun because the IRS has now kind of set forth what's going to qualify as part of this law. And the law will allow, says the IRS, a modified version of a method for calculating life cycle emissions that there's an argument to be made that it's not very good. So the Argonne National Laboratory's GREET method, the Greenhouse Gases Regulated Emissions and Energy Use and Transportation method, and other GREET-based methods don't satisfy the statutory requirements. But the Energy Department and others are working to come out with a new method that could be available in 2024. The current GREET method is basically comes under fire for possibly encouraging crop-based sustainable aviation fuel. So think corn-based ethanol, sugarcane, and the like, where you're reducing the emissions of the final product fuel itself. But to get there, you could be turning over forestry land to grow more crops so that you can then have the feedstock for the fuels and so on and so forth. Exactly what you don't want. Right. So it'll be interesting to see what the modified GREET method looks like. The Environmental Defense Fund is obviously apoplectic. The International Committee for Sustainable Transportation, I think I'm getting the ICCT. So I definitely got that acronym. I got the acronym right, but I got the name Mm -hmm. of the Mm -hmm. organization wrong. However, they are less upset and kind of leaning on the modified method that could come across next year. So it'll be interesting to see when that's released, what does in fact qualify for the sustainable aviation fuel credit of $1.25 for each gallon. And you get more towards the credit up to $1.75 for each percentage point more reduction than 50% over the current carbon emissions. So interesting stuff, important stuff, but one of the things where we could end up with something that's a bit more watered down than would have been optimal. Okay. Okay. 
Definitely going to have to distill this one for a little bit. It seems like progress, but yeah. not exactly the progress we would really want. No, no. It, it seems like two steps forward, a half step back, maybe. Yeah. But we get to swim in all of these acronyms. Corsia, Greet, Luggy, which oh, I think is- that, That's forcing, a good one. Which is just me forcing life cycle greenhouse gas emissions into an acronym rather than an initialism. Rolls but anyway, right off the tongue. It does. So that's a story that we will follow into the new year. This one is rather interesting to me. So a couple of weeks ago, we talked about Mexicana getting its first aircraft. We all thought it was going to be a 737, but it turned out it was an Embraer ERJ-145. This week, we see the first 737 for Mexicana in a Mexicana livery. Maybe. Okay. For real this time. Yeah. Maybe the other plane was it's a decoy. That was, just a, that was just to see if the paintbrushes work and you know they could do it right and get in on a plane. This is the real plane, right? I guess. You would think that they've painted the 737-800. It's ready to go. It says Mexicana on it, both on the fuselage and on the tail. So they didn't mess it up you know, one way or the other. So it transferred from the Mexican military. So all kind of going with what we thought was going to happen. It's still bizarre to me that they're restarting this airline, basically using the military to just fly a commercial airline. Yeah. It's not a great plan. I don't think any of this. I don't think anyone in the industry would say, yes, this is a good plan. This is what you should do. This is a plan for success. No, no, this is at least it's not any 145 anymore. They've got that going for them. <laughs> they do have that going for them. So they've got a couple ex-Mexican Air Force 737s, one, two, three so far that have been transferred to where they're doing the painting. And they should have one, two, three, four more. What's going to be really interesting is what do the cabins look like? Hmm. I assume they will be pretty basic. That'll be fun to see. Yeah. So Jason Jason has graciously volunteered to be on the inaugural flight. So Jason, thank you for that. I appreciate that. You're welcome. And I'm looking forward to your I'm looking forward to your full reports. I I should listen closer before I agree to whatever you're telling me to do. No, you shouldn't. You should just agree to do it no matter what. I think we've all learned our lesson here. Yep. A thing that I would love to do. If I were looking for a job in aviation and I was an engineer, this is the job that I would be applying for. What is it? Tell me more. There are currently open positions to become a hurricane hunter aeronautical engineer. Oh. So flying on the NOAA P3s and or Gulfstream G4, you can apply at the moment. Link in the show notes for anyone who wants to apply for this position. I think you absolutely should. I misread the position notes because I was like, oh, you just get to work with the Hurricane Hunter planes and and all that kind of stuff. And Jason goes, no, 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 no. You get to fly on the planes. And I said, that's That's my interpretation of the job listing. They said support. You read the listing. I mean, yeah, I I yeah, I I misinterpreted that and then you reread it to me. And it turns out that I can, in fact, understand English language words. Yeah. So if if you enjoy extra turbulent flights, this is the job for you. So if you're interested, please go apply. If you are going to apply, let us know. Because we would love to hear 
what that A, what the process is like, and B, hope that you get the job so that you can tell us about what the job is like. We yeah. would love to talk to nice. you. So, so go apply, get the job, and then come and talk to us. All right. Jason, we made it through the entire year. Almost. How about that? Almost. Almost. Well, we made That's it through good. the entire year of podcasting. Yeah, it's, there you go. We're done. There's still more time left in the year. So like I said at the beginning of the show, next week we'll carry through with our tradition of reviewing some of our most interesting conversations throughout the year. There is still time to let us know what those conversations are as far as you are concerned. Email us at podcast at fr24.com and let us know what you think. And this will wrap up our last new episode, our last full episode for 2023. And then we'll be back in the new year with new episodes and a whole lot more aviation to talk about. Thank you everyone so very much for listening throughout the year. We so very much appreciate it. And we're looking forward to another great year in 2024. So we will talk to you then. I am Ian Pechnik here as always with... Jason Rabinowitz, thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.